0: And good afternoon. You're listening to Count Hodnell, This is the Count Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. The most haunted city in the country. Well, today's May 24th. 144th day of the year. 221 days remain to the end of the year. The. Um, Let's see where so the, there we go. Today is Dennis Denny's endless breakfast day. <coughs> uh, excuse me. Aviation Maintenance Technician Day. Bermuda Day. Emergency Medical Services for Children's Day. Empire Day. Get out your union, Jack. And wave it out the window. Independence Day on in Eritrea, International Women's Day for Peace and Disarmament, National Asparagus Day, National Brothers Day, National Caterers Appreciation Day, National Escargot Day, National Mike Day, National Scavenger Hunt Day, the Battle of Pichincha Day. That was the last Ecuadorian battle for independence. And Tiara Day. And World Schizophrenia Awareness Day. Okay, in nine nineteen, A.D., the nobles of Franconia and Saxony elect Henry the Fowler, but the imperial did in uh, Fritzlar as king for the Eastern Frankish Kingdom. On this date in 1218, the Fifth Crusade leaves Acre for Egypt. 1276, Magnus Ladulass is crowned King of Sweden in the Uppsala Cathedral. 1487, ten-year-old Lambert Simnel is crowned in the Christ Church Cathedral in Dublin, Ireland, with the name of Edward VI in the Sixth in a bid to threaten King Henry the reign. 1567 Eric the 14th of Sweden and his guards murder five incarcerated Swedish nobles and in 1595 nomenclature of Lee University library appears the first printed catalog of an institutional library 1607 105 English settlers under the leadership of Captain Christopher Newport established a colony called Jamestown at the mouth of the James River on the Virginia coast first permanent English colony in America, and I had ancestors there. 1621, the Protestant Union is formally dissolved. 1626, Peter Minuet buys Manhattan. 1667, French War Army crosses the border into Spanish Netherlands, starting a war of devolution, opposing France to the Spanish Empire and the Triple Alliance. 1683, the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England opens as the world's first university museum. 1689, English Parliament passes the act of toleration protecting dissenting Protestants but excluding Roman Catholics. 1738, John least converted, essentially launching the Methodist movement. They are celebrated annually by Methodists as Aldersgate Day, and a church service is generally held on the preceding Sunday. Seventeen ninety-eight, the Irish Rebellion of seventeen ninety-eight, led by United Irishmen against British rule, begins. On this date in eighteen thirteen, South American independence leader Solomon Bolivar enters Merida. leading the invasion of Venezuela, and is proclaimed El Libertador, the Liberator. Eighteen twenty-two, Battle of Peninsula, Antonio Jose de Sucre, secures the independence of the presidency of Quito. 1832, First Kingdom of Greece is declared in the London Conference. 1844, Samuel Morrison's the message, what hath God wrought? A biblical quotation from the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 23 from a Committee room in the U.S. Capitol, and his assistant Albert Vail in Baltimore, Maryland, inaugurated a commercial telegraph line between Baltimore and Washington, D.C. 1856, John Brown and his men kill five slavery supporters in Pottawatomie Creek in Kansas. 1861, American Civil War, Union troops occupy Alexandria, Virginia. 1873, Patrick Francis Healy becomes the first black president of a predominantly white university in the U.S. 1883, the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City is opened to traffic after 14 years of construction. 1900, Second Boer War. U.K. annexes the Orange Free State. 1915, World War I. Italy declares war on Austria-Hungary, joining the conflict on the side of the Allies. 1930, Amy Johnson lands in Darwin, Northern Territory, becoming the first woman to fly solo from England to Australia. She left May 5th for the 11,000-mile flight. 1935, the first night game in Major League Baseball history played in Cincinnati, Ohio, with the Cincinnati Reds beating the Philadelphia Phillies 2-1 at Crosley Field. 1940, on this date, Igor Sikorsky performs the first successful single-loader helicopter flight. 1940, acting on the orders of Soviet leader Joseph Stalin, NKDV agent uh, Joseph Grigulovich orchestrates an unsuccessful assassination attempt on exile Russian revolutionary Leon Trotsky in Cuyoacan, Mexico. 1941, World War II, in the Battle of the Atlantic, German battleship Bismarck sinks the, the pride of the Royal Navy, the HMS Hood, kills all but three of its crewmen. 1944, Boris Berlin Building burns down after being hit in an air raid during World War II. 1948, Arab Israeli War. Egypt captures the Israeli kibbutz of Yad Mordecai, but the five-day effort gives Israel forces time to prepare enough to stop the Egypt- Egyptian advances a week later. 1956, the first Eurovision Song Contest was held in Lugano, Switzerland. 1958, United Press International is formed through a merger of United Press and International News Service. 1960, following the 1960, Valdiva earthquake, the largest ever recorded earthquake, the Cordon Cole begins to erupt. 1961, American Civil Rights Movement Freedom Riders are arrested in Jackson, Mississippi for disturbing the peace after getting off their bus. 1962, Project Mercury. American astronaut Scott Carpenter orbits the Earth three times in the Aurora 7 space capsule. 1967, Egypt imposes a blockade and siege at the Red Sea coast of Israel. 1967, Belle de Jour, directed by Louis Brunel, is released. The, um, it's a 1967 psychological drama film directed by Buniel and starring Catherine Deneuve. Jean Sorrell and Michael Piccolo, based on a 1928 novel by the same title. It's about a young woman that spends her midweek afternoons as a high-class prostitute while her husband's at work. Uh, 1976, The Judgment of Paris takes place in France, launching California as a worldwide force of production of quality wine. 1981, Ecuadorian President Jaime Roldós Alguerria, his wife, and his presidential committee die in an aircraft accident while traveling from Quito to Zapolito. Minutes after the president gave a famous speech regarding the, the May 24th anniversary of the Battle of Peniche. 1982, liberation of Karamshar. Iranians recaptured the port city of Karamshar from the Iraqis during the Iran-Iraq War. 1988, Section 28 of the U.K. Local Government Act of 1988, a controversial amendment stating a local authority can intentionally promote homosexuality is enacted. 1991, Israel conducts Operation Solomon, evacuating Ethiopian Jews to Israel. 1992, the last Thai dictator, General Sanchita Kreprioun, uh, resigns following a pro-democracy protest. 1992, the ethnic cleansing of Korsarak, Bosnia, and Herzegovina begins when Serbian militia and police forces enter the town. 1993, Eritrea gains its independence from Ethiopia. Also in 1993, Roman Catholic Cardinal Juan Jesus Posadas Ocampo and five other people are assassinated in a shootout at uh, Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla Guadalajara International Airport in Mexico. 1994. Four men are convicted of bombing the World Trade Center in New York in 1993. Each one is sentenced to 240 years in prison. 1995. While attempting to return to Leeds, Bradford Airport in the UK, night Air Flight 816 crashes in Harwood, North Yorkshire, killing all 12 people on board. 1999, International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia in The Hague, Netherlands, indicts uh, Slobodom Milosevic and four others of war crimes and crimes against humanity committed in uh, Kosovo. 2,000 Israeli troops withdraw from southern Lebanon after 22 years of occupation. Also in 2002, Russia and the US, uh, United States signed the Moscow Treaty. And the Moscow Treaty... Also known as the Treaty of Moscow, was the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty between the U.S. and Russia that was uh, enforced from June of 2003 to February 2011. And it was superseded by the New START Treaty. 2014, a 6.4 magnitude earthquake occurs near GNC between Greece and Turkey. Injuries 324 people. Also on this date, in 2014, at least three people are killed in a shooting at Brussels Jewish Museum of Belgium. 2019, 22 students died of fire in Surat in India. Also on the same date, in 2019, under pressure over her handling of Brexit, British Prime Minister Theresa May announces her resignation as leader of the Conservative Party, effective June 7th. And in 2022, a mass shooting occurs at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas resulting in a death of 21 people, including 19 children. Well, our show today is going to deal with mummies and other mysteries of the grave. Now, you may think mummies are found solely in Egypt, and that's not correct. In fact, our perception of mummies comes from two very different sources. The first is historical record, of course, and the second is the film, The Mummy, and its sequels. It was a 1932 Universal picture, starring Boris Karloff as M. Hotel. And actually, the title character only appears in a traditional mummy guise in his first scene. But the banded shuffling mummy... Uh, I stood out over the decades since it wasn't filmed. Now, both inspirations for the franchise, and it has been two different money franchises, um, and the inspirations were historical, but the the first wasn't Egyptian, though. It was an Italian mystery by the name of Count Alessandro di Cagliostro. And even though he wasn't Egyptian, he spent a number of years in Egypt studying Egyptian mysticism. And he began to claim he was 3,000 years old and in 1777 founded the Egyptian Rite of Freemasonry. Well, 1789, he was arrested as part of the Inquisition, thrown in jail, where he was said to have died. But no body was ever found. He simply vanished out of his cell. Well. <coughs> that became. The basis of a. Uh, horror film called. Cagliostro, King of the Dead. And. From there, Universal eventually developed the Mummy franchise, but it made no mention, of course, of Cagliostro. And part of the story of the Mummy's curse came from the discovery of King Tut's tomb, of course. Tomb of Tutankhamun was discovered in the Valley of the Kings in November 1922 by archaeologist Howard Carter and, excuse me, Howard Carter, in his patron patron, I can't talk, George uh, Herbert, 5th Earl of Carnarvon. And the discovery was so sensational at the time it even began a trend of Egyptian inspired design motifs. Now in 1923, Lord Carnarvon died of an infection. He was supposedly bit by a mosquito and it became infected and he died. He was the first of what became known as the the deaths attributed to the curse of King Tut. In fact, Arthur Conan Doyle helped kick things off by claiming that the elementals created by Tutankhamus priest the guard the royal tomb are responsible for the deaths. Now, before Lord Carnarvon died, there was another strange incident that occurred. When he found the, the tomb, Carter sent a messenger to the home of famous egyptologist james henry breasted and as the messenger approached the residence he claimed to hear a faint almost human cry amplifying the atmosphere was a macabre discovery pet canary kept at the the home of uh, james henry breasted was found dead in the jaws of a cobra coiled up within the cage Of course, uh, cobras were synonymous with uh, Egyptian monarchy. And this first death, of course, was an omen of worse things to come, such as the death of uh, Lord Carnarvon and a number of others. In 1925, a friend of Carter's, Sir Bruce Ingram, suffered a tragic accident when his home burned down. And when he had it rebuilt, It was flooded, which destroyed the house. Well, it came to light. Carter had made a gift to Ingram of a mummified hand. And on the wrist of that mummified hand was a scarab bracelet inscribed with, Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. So the theory was that it was the curse of Uh, outlined in this scarab bracelet that uh, resulted in first his house burning down and then the flood that destroyed the second house. Now, three other men who had either visited the tomb or were part of the excavation died within a few years of being in the crypt. Carter, of course, lived for another 16 years, though some still say he died as a result of the curse. You know, Egypt is the spot most associated with mummies. Mummified bodies of humans and animals are found all over the world. In fact, the oldest mummy ever discovered was found inside Spirit Cave near Fallon, Nevada in 1940. You know, that's a long way from Egypt. And likewise, not all mummies were ancient either. Some, like the infamous mummy of the the man who claimed to be John Wilkes Booth was more or less created by accident in the early 1900s and became a roadshow sensation. And it's mummies such as these that we're going to talk about. They came from such diverse places as the sands of North and Central America rather than the Middle East. We don't have any reanimated mummies to talk about. But a few of them did have curses associated with them. Now, in the early 1900s, two decades before the discovery of King Tut's tomb caused a media sensation, there was a trend in mummified remains being used to sideshow show attractions. The most famous of these was the mummy of... David George, also known as John Wilkes Booth. Uh, We're going to talk more length about him. The story is that Booth was actually not killed um, in the barn where he was supposedly shot by a Union soldier. It was actually someone else who was killed, and Booth was actually spirited away on the orders of the Secretary of War. Among the other more famous sideshow mummies were Elmer, the outlaw mummy, and Crayho, a Native American mummy from El Dorado, Nevada, and then, of course, there's Sylvester. According to legend, two cowboys stumbled across Sylvester's mummy. It was actually a mummified corpse in Arizona's Gila Bend region around 1895. Uh, from tests conducted in 2001, it became apparent the mummy was far too well preserved. It said had been left out in the desert. In fact, Sylvester is uh, one of the best-preserved mummies of all time. Now, experts are certain that an embalmer had to injected arsenic immediately after Sylvester's death. I mean, even his tongue was still intact. So, you have to ask yourself why there was a rush to preserve this old West John Doe. But we do know that he was touring the U.S. along with a few others in the early 20th century. 1909, he was spotted at Seattle's Alaska Yukon Exposition. 1912, he turned up in Yuma, Arizona, barbershop, not getting a haircut, I might add. By 1915, he was appearing in San Francisco's Panama Pacific Exposition. Um, By the 1930s, he was um, in the custody of a doctor who kept him under his couch. He built a couch around a glass display case. So when the doctor asked his guests to look under the sofa cushion they were about to sit on, they'd see the mummy looking back at them. But it certainly had to be a um, start to a good conversation. Well, in 1955, Ye Old Curiosity Shop in Seattle, Washington, bought Sylvester for $25. And later, the mummy was exhibited at the 1962 Seattle Wolves Fair as a desperado from the Old West, although today he's better known as the Gunslinger Mummy. Unlike many mummies who have become lost over the years, he's actually remained in Seattle since the 1950s. So you might ask yourself, why Sylvester was nicknamed the Gunslinger Mummy? Well, that's because he had a gunshot wound in his chest, which, of course, implied he died with his boots on in the best tradition of the Old West. And this ties in with another story that claims that before he was Sylvester, the mummy was called McGinty and was the creation of a con man named Soapy Smith. Now, Smith had a racket where he sold bars of soap with money hidden inside them. And his hopeful buyers remained optimistic they would be the ones to buy the bar with the hidden loot. Always made sure his shills within the crowd got the special bars, and of course, they gave the money back to him. Some say McGinty, um or Sylvester, was himself a con man, was cheating at cards that finally got somebody to shoot him. He stumbled out of whatever saloon he got shot in and made it as far as Gila Bend before he bled to death. And according to the story, the blowing sand dried out mummified his body overnight. Then there's another story that says right after being shot, uh, his body was experimented on by a doctor trying a new embalming technique. And maybe this was the case. The doctor at least if not the saloon brawl, since all of Sylvester's internal organs were exceptionally well preserved. Despite the the preservation of his internal organs, the uh, story about the trying out of a new embalming technique is probably just folklore. Modern experts say the hole in the chest really wasn't a bullet wound likely made by a drill to mimic a bullet wound and red paint was placed around the hole to resemble blood. Well, maybe so. But all didn't lost when it comes to Sylvester's mystique. Though he may not have died with his boots on, he led an adventurous life. His shotgun pellets were found in his right cheek, neck, and lungs. Now, of course, these wounds were non-fatal. Um... More recent examinations uh, make it fairly certain Sylvester actually died of tuberculosis at the age of forty five uh, he was five foot eleven weighed about two hundred and twenty five pounds which means he was a little porker now from Sylvester let's turn to Talking about lost cities full of wealth and mystery. These stories never grow old. And regardless of the fact that the once mythical jungles of Africa and South America have for the most part been explored, the barren deserts of the Southwest and satellite imagery can now pinpoint most anything on Earth. Folks still refuse to believe their legendary cities do not exist. Now, when I was in South America, which was—excuse <coughs> me—which was in the seventies, we found some cities nobody knew existed. I can't say we found any vast riches, but at least it got us out of the rain. Now, of course, hopes are still high. One day, the. The real city of Atlantis will be found in the ocean. The riddles of Easter Island will prove it to be remnants of the lost continent of Mu. Or somewhere, the fabled lost kingdom of Cibola, otherwise known as the Seven Cities of Gold, will be found out in the deserts of the southwest. But if, in fact, Google Earth makes it clear that These lost cities um uh, don't exist. lot do of people still believe it though, I will point out I read an article this morning in The Washington Post that uh, what was it A hundred and fourteen uh, here the vor- unknown cities were found in the jungle connected by hundred and ten miles of what appeared to be uh ancient superhighways? Well, to most folks, if you can't find what you're looking for above ground, then clearly it has to be below it because they don't doubt the existence of these mystery cities for one moment. I mean, let's look at the the 1957 adaptation of Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth. The city of Atlantis was found underground. I remember watching that movie. Then Nicholas Cage went searching for Cibola in the National Treasure Book of Secrets. That fabled city was found underground as well. Southeast New Mexico, an elaborate Aztec treasure city may lie hidden in the Capitan Mountains. This story begins in the 16th century during the time of the Spanish conquest of the Aztec Empire in Mexico. When uh, Hernan Cortez took um, Maximilian prisoner. He sent out word because he had offered to fill a room as high as he could reach with gold in return for his freedom. But uh, Cortez was afraid that Maximilian would marshal his forces and overwhelm the the, uh, Spanish uh, conquistadors. So he decided he was going to put him to death. Well, Montezuma found out and sent word to the Cavalcade of Aztecs that were heading toward their um, Where he was low um, incarcerated to bring gold To hide the gold uh, in their mythical homeland of Aslan That way uh, the Spanish can never get their hands on it Well Montezuma gave instructions: all Aztec gold be hidden from the Spanish. Now, there was no doubt the um, the Aztecs had an unbelievable amount of gold, but after um, Montezuma's death, it couldn't be found. The legend says four groups of one thousand Aztecs each carried the treasure to different places in the north and hid it. It's supposed to be hundreds of tons of gold and precious jewels. It was taken northward. And one of those caravans apparently chose a spot in the Capitan Mountains near present-day Rio Doso, New Mexico, to hide their gold. Some say the Aztecs knew about this cave beforehand. Supposed to have been hollowed out by a race of giants that once lived there. And a lot of the native tribes didn't have stories about giants. Once the Capitan uh, Mountains were in sight of the leaders in charge of the caravan, they threatened uh, nearly 1,000 slaves in their decree with death if the mountain One not reach by sundown. Well, they reached it, but in the process, a lot of the, the folks carrying uh, the gold and jewels perished from exhaustion. Some died from poisonous snake bites. And on the morning of the next day, the Aztecs would find the entrance to this lost cave of giants and make their way inside. Well, there was an old magazine I used to enjoy reading called Treasure Search. And you see a lot of articles that discuss things like that. Uh, Wally Hess was a well-known treasure hunter. And he wrote an article for Treasure Search about the gold and the capitans. And he said for 17 sons, they labored building a small city inside this giant cavern. On the 18th day, the highest-born king flung himself off the high cliff to meet the gods and declare their wishes had been carried out. little drastic, I would think. A letter would have probably done just as well. That night, in the light of the full moon, the queen prepared herself and her two children to offer their hearts to their gods. The stone altar inside the entrance changed slowly from a dull granite gray to a crimson red as the high priest held a pulsating heart aloft and put it gently beside the two smaller hearts that were now devoid of all movement. Well, from that point forward... According to legend, the queen and her children's mummified remains have allegedly watched over the doorway to the underground city built by the the Aztecs. Upon leaving, the priest and the remaining slaves sealed the doorway so nobody could else get in or find the city. And the caravan went back to Mexico with the idea one day when the Spanish had been driven away, they'd come back and reclaim their treasure. Well, Wally Hess, as I said, became aware of the story, and he put an ad in the Denver Post stating he had $1,000 to invest in a valid mining venture. The most interesting answer he got came from an old man in Roswell, New Mexico, who claimed to have found a lost Aztec treasure cave in the Capitan Mountains. The old man told Hess I had found a cave in the mountains with a flight of stone steps leading down them. But he could only look into the cave, not get into it, as the opening was too small. And the old man was reluctant to dynamite the entrance, which is why responded to Hess's ad in the Denver Post. Well, Hess went down to Roswell with a jeep and some dynamite, and the two went westward toward the Capitans. The old man's age prevented him from being able to show Hess the exact spot, as the land was too hard to traverse for the old man who had been younger when he first found the cave. At one point he told Hess, it's right over that ridge, I can't make it, go locate it, I'll take it slow and head back to camp. Well, due to the vastness of the Capitan Mountains, Hess was able to find the cave. The old man claimed it was over the ridge and decided to go back to camp. Next day they heard over the radio a heavy snow was coming, decided to go back home and try again later. Well... Over time Hess kept in touch with the old man and before he died he told Hess in greater detail that the what the formations near the cave opening looked like. And Hess kept researching the old man's claims even after he died and found a lot of facts that corroborated the old man's story, though he never states in his article just what those facts were. On a return trip to the area, Hess found an old poplar tree with Carved markings of an Indian in full headgear, a turtle, and an arrow carved into it. Well, according to treasure hunters, turtles often represent treasure. And the arrow carved into the tree pointed in the same direction the old man claimed the treasure cave was located. So Hess cut that portion out of the tree with the help from a friend, Faria Doso, took it to Eugene Chihuahua, an old Apache man living in the Mescalero Apache Indian Reservation. Chihuahua said the signs either pointed to treasure, water, or maybe both. Later on, Hess said he found a giant rock formation that had similarities to a tunnel in alignment with where the uh, arrow was pointed. Eventually, Hess mounted a formal expedition to find the uh, cave entrance with a European mountain climber named Kurt Richardson and an English illustrator named Julia Purcell to map out the rock formations. They got close to finding the area on the very last night of the expedition, but with supplies running low, they had to turn back the next morning. Well, apparently Hess never found the treasure, and as far as he's the only one to have ever written about it extensively. Kind of hard to believe a legend with hundreds of years of folk-to-folk mileage wouldn't, at the very least, hold some truth. Um... Mickey Cochran, a longtime Rio de resident and co owner of Go West Marketing, uh, said, I believe even the Lost Dutchman mine pales in comparison to the Capitan treasure cave, both in value and validity. But the Capitan treasure cave isn't near as is famous. And surprisingly, it's quite difficult to find any historical documentation. It's almost as if this treasure's history has been hidden from the public, which makes it even more intriguing. Well, Cochran also met somebody else who had a similar story to Hess's. He said he personally met somebody back when he worked as an in-house artist for bounty hunter metal detectors who claimed that he had spent half his lifetime looking for this one particular cave and in the process discovered symbols carved in rock that denoted this particular Aztec treasure it was in close proximity to where he was hunting. Several Roswell... Um, Residents. I've also heard similar stories about a cave in the mountains with a series of stone steps descending to an underground city. So you have to ask yourself, does a secret underground Aztec outpost remain in the Capitan Mountains that hadn't been found? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Starting in 1934... Las Vegas has held a Wild West-themed rodeo every every year called "El Days." The invention of Clyde Gerbais and organized by the benevolent Protective Order of Elks as a fundraiser for local charities. And part of the impetus for the festival was the ongoing construction of Hoover Dam. Construction began in nineteen thirty-one. And in 1934, it was nearing its completion, and Las Vegas wanted to lure some of the departing workers into town. The festival derived its name from nearby El Dorado Canyon. They nicknamed it El Dorado for all the bloodshed there during the Wild West. El Dorado Canyon was home to several gold mines and also haunted by the so-called hellhounds of El Dorado Canyon, But there's also home to another type of monster, and this one was human. And if the stories are true, this man was Nevada's first serial killer, may have murdered as many as 23 people. His name was Cahoe, and when his mummified body was discovered in 1940, the Elks decided to use him as an attraction in the El Dorado days. So they built a nice glass case and put it in an artificial cave replica of his hideout within Las Vegas Dorado Village. At least one occasion, his mummy even rode in the Dorado Parade. He was on exhibition until the early 50s when he was retired. Nobody knows where the body went. Most experts place Cahill's birth around 1880 at Cottonwood Island in Nelson, Nevada. His mother died shortly after giving birth to him and Identity of his father was never known, but some have speculated him to be either a Paiute from a neighboring tribe, a white soldier from Mojave, or even a miner from Mexico. But due to his mixed blood, considered taboo at the time, plus an unfortunate club foot, the boy was actually rejected by his own tribe. So the historical record states Cahoe was raised on a reservation in Las Vegas and went to work as a ranch hand as soon as he was old enough. In addition, he also worked as a wood gatherer for several of the mining camps, likely including the ones in El Dorado Canyon. And due to his being orphaned at a young age and rejected by his tribe, he, not surprisingly, that a harsh existence had hardened him into a criminal. Supposedly, at the age of 17, in 1897, he committed his first murder. Another member of his tribe. Now That was hearsay, though, more reputable stories state it wasn't actually murder, but tribal justice. When Cahill's half-brother, Evote, went on a murderous rampage, it was decreed that Cahill be the one to bring him to justice. So Cahill went out with another man named Jim White in the labyrinth of canyons winding around the Colorado River, found his brother where he was born on Cottonwood Island. There was a um, write-up of the Incident in an article in the Nevada in 1966. Uh, the author wrote, stalking a Volte on the island, Cahill and White let the killer pass him in the wash and shot him from behind, which, as Cahill said, seemed the most sensible way to do the job. And rather than drag the body through the landscape, Cahill cut off a hand, which was distinctive in that it. it lacked one finger, and took it back as proof that he had killed him. While that killing was justified under tribal law, the first for a murder penned on him was recorded in November 1920. He was accused of killing a tribal named Harry Bismarck in a drunken dispute on the reservation. And after this, he allegedly killed two Paiute to obtain their horses and fled. On his way to Nelson, Cale stopped to steal supplies from a Las Vegas store and was confronted by the shopkeeper named High and he bashed him over the head with a pick handle and broke both his arms, though the man wasn't actually killed. Instead of making it to Nelson like he planned, he instead hid out in El Dorado Canyon. Well, shortly after this, Cahill came under the employ of a woodcutter named J.M. Woodworth. When Woodworth failed to pay him his wages, he beat him to death with a piece of lumber. A posse was formed under Deputy Sheriff Howe to investigate Woodworth's murder and During the investigation, they found a distinctive print showing uh, K.O.'s club foot. They followed the trail back to El Dorado Canyon, where they found another dead body, that of the Gold Bug Mine Watchman, L.W. Doc Gilbert. K.O. shot him in the back and stole his badge. Pisa continued pursuit of K.O. to the Colorado River, where the trail went cold. I know the men thought that K.O. wouldn't get far and also be easy to track due to his club foot. That was not the case. Well, the, the chase resumed later that same year under the charge of Nevada State Police Sergeant Newgard, who employed several Native American trackers to help him. They found evidence of Cahill's presence in the area, but he eluded capture for so long, the party ran out of supplies and went back to Las Vegas in February 1911. Well, due to his evasive nature, most of the... Unsolved killings and thefts in the Eldon Road Canyon area were pinned on Cahill, and his legend increased year after year, as you might guess. He was even accused of killing his friend Canyon Charlie in 1913. Now, Canyon Charlie was 100 years old, blind, and only had a few possessions, so it was doubtful Cahill actually killed him. Besides, he was said to be a close friend and confidant of Cahill's. Still years later, in 1938, the Las Vegas Evening Review Journal wrote that Charlie's meager supply of food was gone, mute testimony to the fact that this maniac would kill anybody for anything or nothing since he might easily have stolen the old man's belongings without resorting to murder. Well, over the years, the bodies piled up and K.O. kept taking the blame, including two miners shot in the back at Jenny Springs and a Native American woman killed about that same time. Eventually, a $2,000 reward was offered for K.O.'s capture, dead or alive. And coincidental or not, the killings actually died off around this point. But his by this time, his reputation had become legend. He was the phantom renegade of the hills, the bogeyman parents warned their children about. And if ever anybody disappeared for as little as a few hours, the thought was K.O. had gotten him. Well, after six-year absence, the killings... Started back up in January 1919 when two dead prospectors identified as William Hancock and Aether Taylor were found uh, d- discovered upstream from El Dorado Canyon. Both had been shot in the back, and Taylor had the added distinction of having been bashed over the head with an axe handle. Now, these last few killings uh, were linked to Cahill purely by speculation, but um, his trademark footprint was actually found. Not long after, on January 21st, another killing occurred near the Mine, Miami, which Cahill may have been framed. official story went the wife of an Eldorado Canyon miner named Maud Douglas awoke one night to the sound of somebody trying to steal some canned goods from the family's cabin. And for some reason, it was her rather than her husband who went to investigate. And she took a shotgun blast to the chest. And supposedly, Cahill's distinctive footprint was found... Um, near the scene. Of course, the little boy in Maude's care claimed it was the husband that shot Maude, but he was a kid. Nobody listened to him. Well, shortly after this, the reward for Kale's capture elimination increased to 3,000. Local authorities directed the best trackers available to be hired to find him once and for all, and the trail read north through Las Vegas, Wash., and into the muddy mountains where once again he went cold. Sightings of the delusive K.O. began to become fewer and fewer, and the last recorded one actually took place in February 1930 when he was spotted walking right down Fremont Street in Las Vegas. Policemen recognized the old outlaw and called for reinforcements. It turned out to be K.O.'s last escape. He was never seen again after that. Or never seen alive, that is. February 18, 1943, prospectors found the mummified dead body of a Native American man high up in a cave on the side of Black Canyon perfect hideout for a legendary figure like Cahill being about 2,000 feet above the river and looking down at the canyon, and it was rigged with a tripwire that would trigger an alarm bell inside the cave when trespassers came calling. He was found curled up in a fetal position, succumbed after those, all those years to the bite of a rattlesnake. Along with the body was found a Winchester 3030, provisions and items stolen in recent years linked to the construction of Hoover Dam and even a special deputy badge, the serial number of which matched that of L.W. Doc Gilbert, who had been killed in 1910. This, along with the corpse's double roll of teeth, more or less proved the body had to be K.O.'s. Frank Waite, um, who had been chief of police in Las Vegas, and more importantly, member of the 1910 posse charged with finding K.O., identified the body and pronounced that that was he. The was announced to the press February 21st, and the papers had a ball with the story. The body's discoverer, Charles Kenyon, expected to get the unclaimed reward money for Cahill, but that was denied. So he threatened to take back possession of the body from the Palm Funeral Home so he could sell it to the Las Vegas Elves Club for exhibition, but court order prevented that. Well, nobody knows how many he killed, but... Author Corey Daniel of the Phoenix Enigma put forth the unique theory K.O. may have evaded capture for so long thanks to supernatural abilities. Now, you have to ask yourself why anybody would think he would have supernatural abilities, and that's because he was proven to have a double row of teeth. Not a simple case of hyperdontia where a person might have a few extra teeth. He had a full double row. Now, hyperdontia is very rare in and of itself at, uh, 0.1 percent to 3.8 percent, but a complete double row of teeth was something common to accounts of biblical giants. These huge beings were the offspring of angels and human women, and in addition to the double row of teeth, also had six digits on their hands and feet rather than the usual five. And while C- Cahill only had five digits, the double row of teeth did raise interesting questions, and also said he was quite tall. It was also speculated that uh, if he was indeed guilty of all the murders attributed to him that the ultra-violent tendencies could have stem from the lineage of the giants who are said to be excessively violent. Well, there are those that acclaim still today to see Cahill stalking the canyons of El Dorado Canyon. Maybe yes, maybe no. Well, how many folks know that there have been mummies found in the South, or the southern part of the U.S.? Now, Universal's classic mummy series, which went from 1932 to 1945, ended with the mummy, Karis being entombed in the deep south of North America in the film The Mummy's Curse. I know the South may seem like an odd region to dig up a mummy. In fact, hundreds of mummies were discovered there in the early 1800s. The story of Kentucky's mummies was unearthed by Thomas Ashe, an Irish writer and adventurer who was journeying across America in the early 1800s. And his discoveries and experiences were preserved in correspondence to a colleague in London. He's particularly interested in ancient mounds and burial sites. In the summer of 1806, he was in Lexington, Kentucky, where he heard a discovery of an ancient tomb, one that possibly outdated even the Native American tribes known to inhabit the area. And I will point out that across the Midwest are mounds, and within those mounds have been found giant skeletons, eight to ten feet tall, six fingers, six toes, quite often wearing copper armor. In a book that he wrote called Travels in America, Thomas Ashe wrote, uh, Lexington stands nearly on the site of an old Indian town, which must have been of great extent and magnificence as it's amply evinced by the wide range of uh, circumvoluntary works and the quantity of ground it once occupied. Well... You know, time and the more destructive ravage of man would have nearly levelled those these remains of former greatness would possibly allow them to sink into an entire rebriven, whether or not connected with a catacomb formed in the bowels of the limestone rock about fifteen feet below the surface and lying adjacent to the town of Lexington. Now this labyrinth considered extraordinary in America was discovered about uh, in seventeen eighty six by some of the first settlers whose uh, curiosity was excited by something remarkable than the character of stones which struck their attention while hunting in the woods. They removed the stones which revealed other stones of curious workmanship. They removed those and inadvertently exposed the mouth of a deep, dark cavern of tremendous size well. A little bit taken back by this discovery, they gathered more men, a sufficient amount of rope and torches, and descended into the cave. Found themselves in a spacious apartment. The sides and extreme ends were formed into niches and compartments and occupied by figures representing men. Well, when they got over the shock, um, the sentiment of surprise. Per, uh, Permitted further research and inquiry, and figures were found to be Indian mummies preserved by the art of embalming to great preservation and perfection of state. Now what made the mummies of such great interest was the fact that Native Americans of the time weren't known to embalm their dead in the manner of Ancient Egyptians. However, the discoverers didn't know that or were no they concerned with historic preservation. At the time, white settlers, Native Americans were in the midst of an all out war. And so much hostility existed between them and the Kentucky region that when the men found what they assumed to be dead Indians they they set the bodies on fire. The discoverers of the catacomb delight to wreak their vengeance. They drugged the mummies to the out into the daylight, tore the bandages open, kicked the bodies into dust, and made a general bonfire. of the most ancient remains that antiquity could boast remains respected by many hundreds. Uh, revolving years held sacred by time and susceptible to corruption. Now, upon hearing of this unfortunate bonfire of the mummies, which literally put America's ancient history up in smoke, Ash got together a group of men to help him find the tomb, and they did. He investigated the cave, found a large square shaped cavern 300 feet long and 100 feet wide with a level floor and 18 foot tall vaulted ceiling this vaulted ceiling more than anything in addition to the niches and shells along the wall proved this was a man-made crypt and not a completely natural formation. He estimated it may have held upwards of 2,000 mummies. When he asked the locals how many they thought it contained, they said bodies had been burned up by the hundreds. It seemed ironic that the ignorant town folk burned all the mummies because they assumed they were Native Americans when at the time they were observant enough to notice the mummies had red hair. They also seemed to imply that it was almost something supernatural in the way the bodies burst into flame. As they stated, they burned with a rapidity that baffled all observation and description. And on that note, because at the end of today's show, we'll be talking more about mummies in America in future shows. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great Evening.